Hi, friends, and welcome. I am your hot mess of a host, Mary Hendricks from The Very Merry Life, your new mom friend that soon will feel like an old friend. Twice a week, every week, I want you to come and join me as we cover moments in motherhood, marriage, sex, and more. Some moments worth savoring, others worth surviving, all with a laugh, pep talk, or F-bomb every now and again. I want you to come as you are, but leave the sugar coating behind because, guys, we know how sweet it already is. So what do you say? Up for picking some daisies? All right. Hello, guys. Welcome back to another episode. This is going to be a good one uh, because I relate deeply to our guest and I'm excited for you guys to see her. I'm excited for you guys to get to know her. And I would be shocked if you aren't already following her if you have little ones, because I feel like your account has grown tremendously and she's such a valuable resource. And I'm going to bring her in. Her name is Melissa Minnie and say hello. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. So Melissa, I'm going to let you introduce yourself real quick and then we will get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm a speech language pathologist. I'm a mom of three now. My, let's see, I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old this month, and my youngest is 10 months now, which I'm just like, my brain cannot wrap my head around that. She's I almost one. That. Yeah. I feel like it's you just I feel, I feel like, like that too. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that too. Like every day my husband and I are like looking at her in the high term. We're like, she's so big. Like, yeah. what? Where did the time go? It's gotta um, be a third. It's gotta be a third child thing. I it's, think so. You're just like so busy with everything else. Then yeah. you're just like, okay, they're yeah. crawling now. Yeah. Um, and I, during the pandemic, like when it first started, I had been planning on going back to work when my son was about nine months old and then couldn't because of lockdown. So I started the Raising Little Talkers account for a couple different reasons. One, I wanted to keep my skills sharp because I wasn't seeing kids. And also there was such a need for speech therapy and so many kids were not able to attend at that time. So I wanted to give parents tips and strategies that they could do at home. And it just blew up into this amazing community and business that I now run. And so that's what I do full time. Um, I'm also home with my kids. So I kind of work like when they're napping or they're at school or camp. Um, and I have an online course that I, where I teach parents what to do with their little ones at home and that, and just run my social media account, my YouTube channel. And it's funny. I'm like a quote unquote content creator now. It's just yeah. not something that I ever anticipated or expected. And it's, it's been a beautiful and fun ride for sure. Yeah. That's, I literally just said that the other day. Cause same thing. I set out not to do this. I just set out to share mm-hmm. my life and then I was having fun because same thing during the pandemic, I was so freaking bored at home and I started sharing. And I think I, I really started to gain traction the more I started to like open up about like the real life struggles. And one of those, Mm -hmm. which is where you and I connected. And I know we connected originally because we worked together uh, and it fit perfectly because my oldest, for anyone listening, my oldest Cassidy was speech delayed. Although I feel like I should say is speech delayed still because we're still working on it. She's just She's officially been un not unaccepted. She's phased out of the IEP that she was in this process. That's amazing. Yeah, it's great. She still needs articulation stuff that we have to work on. Uh, but she is for the most part all caught up, which is incredible. And she's going to be going into kindergarten, but we connected and I wanted to share it because I know how lost I felt during that time. And like you said, during the pandemic, that's when all of this was going on for us. We got her diagnosed with a speech delay at two, uh, or right before she turned two, she turned two. And then three months later, the pandemic hit. And then 
you know, the early intervention services that we were getting, receiving at home, suddenly shifted from her coming over once a week for 30 minutes at a time with a mask on to virtual, which trying to get a two-year-old to sit on an iPhone was absolutely never happening. Yeah. (laughs) And the the speech therapy office that we were using completely shut down. And I was lost. And like, you just, you have a slew of emotions that it's just, you, you, you didn't anticipate. A hundred percent, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So with that and getting on, and that's why I wanted to bring Melissa on is I know when I've shared about this on my account and everything, I've had a lot of parents reach out to me that are in very similar predicaments. Either they are, ex- they're suspicious of their child having a potential speech delay and they don't know where to go, or their child does have a speech delay and they're kind of navigating that. Uh, or they are in the early, early, early stages of parenthood where their babies are brand spanking new, but they're trying to figure out how to implement strategies that way they can hopefully, you know, sidestep away from having a speech delay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's why I think today's conversation is going to be fabulous. Great. I'm excited. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So we'll getting into that speech delays. Let's talk about commonality. Like what from your experience, how common are they? So that we actually have actual numbers on this. So I will let you know what um, the American Speech Language and Hearing Association reports. 13.5% of 18 to 23 month olds have late language emergence or delayed language. 10 to 20% of 24 month olds and 16 to 17.5% of 30 to 36 months old. So six month olds. So it's not like, it's not huge. It's not a huge percentage, but those are pretty significant, Um, you know, and the good news is that a lot of these kids who have language delays will catch up on their own, a very large percentage of them. So about 70 to 80% by kindergarten, they are caught up. Um, But that leaves this 20 to 30% that don't catch up on their own. They need some sort of support, some sort of intervention which is typically speech therapy. Sometimes parents working on it at home can help too. Um, and since we don't know, we don't know which, you know, bucket our kid falls into. We don't know if they're the kid that's going to catch up on their own or not. Um, and so I always recommend supporting early at home just so you know that they're getting this language input that they might need to get back on track. Um, And I'm always, I'm a big supporter of checking and seeing versus waiting and seeing. I think it's so great that you got your daughter evaluated with early intervention. And um, a lot of parents are, they're not wanting to check it out. They, they, they're like not sure what to do. And I, and there's always a wait list too, depends on where you live. And so there's, there's lots, and we'll talk about it today that parents can do at home to help support um, their little one's language, but, but that's how common it is. And there's just kind of a lot of question marks as to like, will my child need speech therapy or will will it end up fine? And I'm sure you've heard like, they're going to be fine. They're going to catch up. I know so-and-so who caught up and like a lot of kids do. But for the kids that don't, this is for them. This is why I push for get evaluated, get them supported at home. Just so if fine, if they ended up would have caught up on their own, great. We wouldn't have known, but great. Yeah. And you at least did what you could at home. Yeah. Um, and so then you're not having to play catch up later. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, for my experience in going through in that way, I can just walk through if anyone's listening, kind of being like, okay, let's see if our similar, our experiences are similar. So my, again, like I said, my oldest, when she was about eight, 
18 months old. I think I started noticing then. And the number one way that I started recognizing it is that I realized that because I was home with her so often while my husband wasn't, I understood more about what she needed than most others. And I almost didn't pick up on it because I understood her. But then I, all of a sudden, when we were out and about, we were with other people and with other kids, I all of a sudden started to realize that she wasn't necessarily in par with these other kids. And then when my mom and my dad and Kevin, even my husband were like, what is she saying? And I'm like, how do you not understand this? Like, but it, and it wasn't language. It was gesturing. It was a lot of gesturing. And I didn't realize that like, that shouldn't overtake everything else. It was great, but it was almost too, it, it was too much gesturing where it was like her going, mm, mm, mm. and I'd be like, okay, yeah, well, like here charades. we go. <laughs> yeah. And, but I understood it because I was with yeah. her so often. Yeah. And uh, at 18 months, I brought it up to her doctor and her doctor said, you know what, this can happen overnight. Like literally she said, I've seen kids that, you know, we have concerns and overnight the next time they come in, it's caught up. And I said, okay, let's wait. And as we got closer to her birthdays in December, I believe it was October. So the two months before she turned two, I knew that something was up. I was like, she's just not there. We had just had another baby and it was getting frustrated at times. And just, there was so much going on. And I was like, I'm just going to call an evaluation. And I had a friend of mine, thankfully, that was going through something similar. And she said, you don't have to go to your pediatrician. Like you can literally call and just make an evaluation. It doesn't yeah. hurt. Can refer you your own kid. Pay- Yeah. And I don't think I even had to pay for it. Like they literally just came and did it. And I remember the best thing she said to me was the worst case scenario is that you get almost free services for the most part. And she said, that's, that's not a bad thing. And I think it was a pride aspect at first. And sure enough, she got diagnosed with a delay and it, it was so helpful. Uh, And I think Mm -hmm. the thing that parents don't realize, I know for me at least is it's not like they're coming in and then taking over your kids the rest of the time. You're only getting them for us. It was only once a week for 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and then the rest was all us. So it was kind of, you know, it was teaching us how to go forward and it was so nice. Yeah. A great therapist will train the parents because like you said, you're with your child the most. So, you know, 30 minutes once a week is not going to make a difference, but if you're carrying over the strategies that they teach, then that's where, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Well, and then going through just, you know, uh, the causes, what have they found any causes as to why this is? So there are some risk, like higher risk factors that make it more likely that a child has a language delay. Um, Gender, boys are higher risk than girls. Um, Having a low birth weight or being born premature before 37 weeks. Um, having a family history of language and learning difficulties, there is a genetic component to some language and speech issues. So there's no, like nothing direct that we know unless it's secondary to another diagnosis. For example, we know, you know, children with Down syndrome or autistic kids tend to have speech and language uh, differences as they are developing. And so when, if you know that there's another diagnosis, then you might have that more certainly than if there's nothing else going on. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's very difficult to pinpoint cause, which we'll talk about too, when we talk about the pandemic and um, delays, but those would be the biggest risk factors. Yeah. I had, um, Mm -hmm. I had a mom I met, I went out for, with my husband on a date night and we had a, 
we met a mom and we were talking and everything and we were kind of getting into conversation as to what she does. And the conversation spiraled to a point where she had said, you know what, I worked and I work out of the home and I have such tremendous guilt over you know, working and stuff like that. And the guilt was added because her son ended up being diagnosed with a speech delay and she's mm. working through it right now. So her thing and what she was talking to me and I hadn't even brought up my history yet. And she was just saying, she's like, you know, I have such guilt because I'm afraid that me not being home was the reason why this delay happened. Um, and immediately once she said that, I looked at her and I said, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I was home with her literally 24 <laughs> seven. talking to her 24 seven and she still ended up with a speech delay. Um, I I know speech therapists who have kids with speech delays. Yeah. They're doing all the things. (laughs) Yeah. It it literally is. And I, I, it's, it's just uh, the way I, I view it. And that makes me feel better at least. And my daughter doesn't have autism or anything like that, that has been compounded on top of this, but I know for us, like the way I think of it is I struggled with math my entire life. Like I've always struggled with math. It's just one of those things that my brain doesn't click on right away. And I needed that little extra push. And that's literally all it is. And I try to encourage parents that, and if you guys are listening, if you were feeling like discouraged at all, or like wary about starting this, like, would you be wary about in high school, your child needs a tutor (laughs) for something like that's, that's how I view it. It's a tutor. It's someone else that is fine tuned in like the different intricacies of how to like encourage Mm -hmm. things forward that might be able to explain things differently that we might not know how to. Yeah. That's a great example. Different ways to sort of elicit language. Cause typically babies and toddlers will just pick up language from you talking and doing nothing special or nothing different. And then some kids need to learn a little bit differently. They need a different approach and the speech therapist can teach you how to try different things and, you know, see what clicks with the kid. Yeah. What made you get into speech therapy? Like what made you pursue this route? So (laughs) kind of funny. I actually went to college initially for music business. I was very much into music and wanted to like own a record label. Like this was my jam. And I went to school my freshman year and I was like, you know what? This isn't for me. And I was looking for different, different pathways. My dad is a physician and I really liked medicine, but I didn't want to do medical school. And someone that we knew in the family was a speech pathologist. So I had a phone call with her and I was like, wow, this kind of sounds like the perfect way to like, it was sort of health related, not medicine, but you know, you're working with clients and patients. And I also loved children. I was a camp counselor for several years. Um, and so this was just like, it just seemed perfect. It was like kids yeah. and I get to help families and kids. And I just took like that first intro to speech class and was like, this done, this is it. I loved yeah. it so much. Um, yeah. There's such a wide variety of like things that speech pathologists treat. The umbrella is very large of what we cover. And so it took me a while to find what I loved, which is working with kids birth to three. Um, yeah. But that is, I just love it so much. Love well, what things. other things? Because I know obviously articulation and then there's language. Yes. What so other there's, things? You, I mean, speech therapists work with children all the way up through high school and adults as well. Um, and also in feeding and swallowing is another area that I explored that wasn't for me. Um, I actually worked in a rehab facility for, um, 
geriatric patients like my first year out of grad school and thought that's what I wanted to do. Then I switched to feeding with kids. And then I never worked in a school, actually, just private practices. But I worked with school-age children, preschool, and then just decided early intervention is where it's at yeah, for me because like I just love babies and toddlers. Yeah. Now that I have my own kids, it's I don't feel like I have the energy right now to give to seeing children because I honestly don't know how other speech therapists do it. They do it. They see kids all day and come home to their own kids. But I think that would be really hard for me. I'm yeah, already no. spent yeah. being around my own kids. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. I do not blame you. That's how I, I commend teachers. Anyone here that's yeah. a teacher, I give you so much credit if you have children and then go off and teach other people's children because yeah. God bless you. A thousand it, percent. I, I, I can do it. <laughs> my kids are also, I mean, I don't know. I feel like my kids are intense. They're just like, they're a lot. It's my life. It's yeah. my life. That's literally my life. I, the life lessons I just shared in my stories is that the life lessons that I have gone through just today before 10 a.m. are like the life lessons that I never anticipated I would have to teach, like invaluable life lessons. And for, and for example, my first one was you cannot pull your penis out. And that's because my son <laughs> discovered the pocket that goes in front of his undies. Oh, yeah. And Mine just discovered that too. Yeah, Holds except your he son? comes running it. He uh, uh, almost four. He okay. comes running in with that thing, like sticking on out. And I look at him. I'm like, dude, wiener, tuck it back in, man. <laughs> I'm like, jump scare. Come on. But I yeah, feel like <laughs> you could be describing my house. Literally, yeah. my four year old is just at that stage too, discovering yeah. that. I'm like, you can go do that in your bedroom. But not out here <laughs> yeah. where everyone's hanging out. Okay. Yeah. Let's private. Private. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> you only have one. Did you say you have one boy or two? I only have one boy. Yeah. Same. So it's, yeah, it's that one boy that just brings up all the interesting conversation. <laughs> so it's, totally. It's yeah. No. Uh, so with that and, and going in and, and twisting this back into that pandemic, let's talk pandemic because that I think is why well, I, I credit the pandemic for a lot of things. I think it's, it's driven so many of accounts like ours online because everyone was like, let's, let's go to social media. And I think that that's amazing because think of how many people you've reached and totally. Whatnot. Well, I love hate relationship with social oh, media. Like there's yeah. so many things I hate about it. And then I've also learned so much just as a parent myself following like amazing accounts, psychologists mm. and occupational therapists. And I know so many parents have learned from me and I've connected with so many colleagues and other moms on here. Like it's been a really beautiful thing. So definitely yeah. love hate. Um, yeah. So yeah. I will say there is more data now than we had initially. It's been three years, um, but the results are still varying a lot. So there's two main studies. One found that Children born, excuse me, born during the pandemic were less likely to have achieved milestones of waving, which makes mm -hmm. sense, not seeing a lot of people. Um, yeah. And if you're not modeling that at home too much, then, you know, they're not getting that saying one meaningful word or pointing by their first birthday compared mm -hmm. to children born before the pandemic. However, another study didn't find any significant differences between the length of pandemic exposure and you know, infant's language or social emotional development between 12 or excuse me, at 12 or 24 months. So here's two different studies that say pretty much the opposite. One's like, yes, definitely. These things are happening. And the other one said, no. So 
what we can take from this is that there does appear that the pandemic has affected language and social development of babies and toddlers, but to what extent and in what ways and for who in particular, it's just really not well understood yet. We don't, we don't know. And something that I like to share with parents um, is that proving what causes what with research is very tricky to do. Um, Just in general, in research, proving causation is hard, but especially with the pandemic, which affected every single area of our lives, it's pretty impossible to kind of tease out like one thing that caused language, like specifically without knowing, well, what about all the other areas that were affected, right? So to claim that X caused Y is going to be a huge oversimplification of a very complex situation and relationship. So to parents listening, like really be wary when you read or hear in the media of a strong conclusion or extreme claim, because all studies have strengths and weaknesses and limitations. And there's usually way more nuance than is discussed in like a clickbaity post or a news article. I remember a couple months ago, there was something going around that was like, like very strongly claiming like, you know, the pandemic has caused this, this, and this. And it's like, we don't really, we don't really know. We can't say that with confidence. Um, yeah. Well, we, it's hard because everyone yeah. treated, everyone responded differently to the pandemic. Everyone is in a different area. Everyone's state did something different with the pandemic. <clears throat> totally. Uh, all practices did something different with the pandemic. People had different resources. So it's just, it's Absolutely. hard to pinpoint what the hell happened. Like what exactly was the key takeaway. And then obviously all the other factors that could be in there as well. And it's just, was it the pandemic or was it your stress? Like, can you, that or exactly, there's so many things that go with it. Did they, I don't know if anything switched, but I remember, didn't they change the development delays or like the delay schedule of things? Yeah. So the milestones were changed, but it was actually unrelated to the pandemic. Um, They put those changes into effect, like actually or may suggested the changes before the pandemic and it just took so long for them to actually get like approved and changed. Yeah. So they Cause I, that came out during the pandemic and then yes, I, so everyone I was thought. like, see, they're dumbing everything down because the kids, yeah, it's not, yeah. that was not the case. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what, that's a perfect example of like the media putting stuff out there and saying, you know, this is because so many kids are behind. So now like the milestones are being changed and it's like, well, yeah. they're not really. Um, yeah, well, that's what also, I thought. <laughs> Yes, they, like, oh, good. <laughs> you know what? So many speech pathologists and um, occupational therapists and physical therapists were really upset by the changes because they didn't really consult with, um, they didn't consult with anybody in our field, and they some of the changes we don't agree with. Yeah. So, um, and like I know for physical therapists, they just like completely like took off crawling as a milestone and physical therapists are like, crawling is really important. Actually. (laughs) You can't just, so I I wouldn't just go by the CDC alone, but I like to tell parents, you know, Mayo Clinic and um, pathways.org are two really great resources as well. And I kind of say, look at a couple different places and don't just only put all your eggs in the CDC basket. Um, The world health organization also has some good, good resources too. Yeah, that's good to know. Only because I I saw that, and I remember when it came out, and I was like, "Why would they get rid of certain stuff?" And I was like, "Some of that stuff is so important for just." I mean, it, it maybe it might not. I've I've known plenty of kids. Like, let's take crawling for example, that don't crawl, and they just immediately go to pulling to standing. And some kids are just crazy, and they 
shoot right on up. But mm-hmm. for some people, that is an important thing where if you notice that your kid is not crawling, they might just be like, oh, it's fine. It says it's not right. important. I'm not going to exactly. stress. Exactly. It would be a big deal. Right. So, it's not It's not being explained, I think, enough. Like <clears throat> my son haven't actually had a, um, a gross motor delay when he was younger and he wasn't sitting up or like crawling when he was supposed to. And I, I noticed actually from Instagram, like seeing other kids and was like, what that kid's the same age as him. Oh my gosh. He's not even like, he's not even pulling up or like doing any of this stuff. So I think like on the one hand, I understand that milestones, they don't need to stress parents out, but they are a really great, like guideline. I think for, if you look at the big picture, if there's like one isolated thing, you know, talk to your pediatrician and like, see what's going on, but don't just dismiss them. I think that a lot of parents feel stressed by milestones or like, why do we even have these? They just stress parents out. Or even I've had parents say about my account that I'm just stressing parents out. I try my absolute best to never fear monger. I don't, um, I don't think parents need to stress at all, but I like them to be prepared and have the tools to support. Um, I like parents to just take action, you know, instead of sitting there and stewing and worry. Cause for me as a parent, that's really empowering when I was worried about my son, like knowing what to do and doing it helped me feel less anxious actually. So, um, yeah, milestones serve a purpose. They're not like set in stone. There is some variability among children, but you know, look at it as a big picture and how your child is developing and look over it with a professional too. You know, if you're worried and you have a concern, talk to someone who understands child development as a whole and can say, yeah, this is, this could be concerning or, you know what, your child's doing X, Y, Z. And so this little thing is not concerning to me, you know? No, and I agree. I, I've never seen your page and like stressed out by it. I think I've, you know what, as a parent, we're going to stress ourselves out regardless. You're not, your content's not going to do it. I think it's exactly yeah. that. I think it's great to have resources like your page. Even I say now, because Miss Rachel wasn't a thing when I had Cassidy, my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I always tell parents, I'm like, I know it's screen time, but I'm like, Miss Rachel is fabulous. And I said, and I know she's annoying, but I said, watch her because the things that she's doing are actually incredibly valuable pieces of information for you as a parent. And I said, I wish I had that. It's not to stress you out and and make you think that something's off. It's that way, you know what to do in that situation, because it is a really sucky feeling when you feel like you are never going to get there. You feel like your child will never get anywhere. And every thought is going to go through your head, (laughs) every thought, and you're going to blame yourself. And you're going to blame everyone else. And it's, yeah. it's, you just, and you feel you helpless. To, yeah. Yeah. I really this, do. Yeah. Really deep feeling of like helplessness of like, I am a speech pathologist. I know a lot about speech and language, but I didn't know really anything about gross motor development or how to support him. And we ended up getting physical therapy and like the stuff I learned was so stupid, simple. I was like, yeah. like just shocked that I didn't know that I should be doing that with him or that that could help support him better. But I will say for everybody that parents do not cause delays. Like in extreme cases of abuse and neglect, yes, that can happen. But for like the average parent doing their best, your child's delay is not your fault. And um, there are things we can do to help support them, but we are definitely not the cause. So I Got to let go of that guilt. Well, I and so I, I remember, so like I said, I brought up the the working mom that brought up her concern, but mm-hmm. I also remember when Cassidy was a, I think she might've been recently diagnosed with a speech delay. I can't remember, but I remember us being out and 
she tried communicating. There was someone else with us or not someone else watching like us around. And she brought something up about Cassidy and I ended up explaining to her that she was speech delayed of some sort. And she brought up something a lot. I think it was about her grandson who's bilingual. And she said that she hmm. believes her grandson is speech delayed, but she was wondering if it was because he spoke two languages. And I don't think that's true. Is that not true? That It's yeah. not true. It's okay. yeah. One of those common myths that I actually just responded to somebody's comment this morning that I'm so glad I saw it because I miss a lot. And it was just, you know, parents come to these conclusions because they hear it from family members or they read about it online or just they kind of deduce that that's the case, even though there's nothing backing it up. But yeah, one of them is that learning two languages is going to confuse children. It does not confuse children. And if there is a language issue going on across um, all the languages the child is learning, then that is indicative that there is a language delay going on. If it's just in one language, but they're strong in another language, that tells me that it's not a language delay. It's actually, they're just learning another language and there's, they're just not learning it as strongly as the first one. So when we see yeah. a true language delay present, it's across all languages. Okay. Um, also, parents don't know that they need to count all the words in all the languages, even if they're the same word. So if your child's oh. learning Spanish and English and they have milk and leche, excuse my accent, um, then <laughs> I don't know if I said that right, then they would have that would count as two different words. And so mm -hmm. a lot of times if your pediatrician's only looking at English, then it could appear like your child is delayed, but really yeah. they're not if you look at um, you know, the total of all the languages. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. I didn't also know that word approximations counted as well. Yes. So many so, parents and, don't Sorry. Know that. You can explain what that is because yeah. someone hears word approximation. Everyone's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So it's basically a simplified word. So like babies and toddlers are not able to say all the sounds. So they're going to say ba for ball or ma for more or dada for doggy. Um, and those count as words as long as they're used purposefully to communicate something and independently. So not like you said it and then they mimicked you. They have to say it independently on their own um, and if used consistently. So those are the three criteria, independently, um, uh, purposefully and consistently. Okay. And then how yeah. about sign, does sign language count also? Yes. So sign language, yep. Words in sign language count. So Sign language, just think of sign language as another language, like Spanish or German or French. So same um, same information applies. If you're learning sign language and English, it's not going to delay your child's speech. Um, and that was something else that was claimed in this comment of like, I wish I didn't teach, teach my child sign language because now they're not talking and they prefer to use their signs and they're being lazy or babies and toddlers are not lazy. Like they yeah. just don't even have laziness in them. And um Signs, actually, the research shows that signing and speaking helps improve spoken language. So yeah. there's, it's not delaying things. If you find your child is like taking off with sign language, like they're using new signs every day, combining signs into like short phrases, but they're not talking, then that's usually indicative that there's a hearing issue going on or a speech issue. Because mm -hmm. um, something I like to explain to parents is speech and language are two mm -hmm. different things. Speech is like the actual physical production of the speech sounds. And language is actually the words we use, our vocabulary, and how we use them to communicate. So a child that's using sign language is literally using language with no speech. Yeah. And if they're using speech and language together, it's tricky because for English and German and other spoken languages, they're very intertwined. But a yeah. child who is excelling in sign language, their language skills are taking off and their speech is not um, catching up. 
So that would usually mean to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. For my daughter, Cassie, she both struggled in expressive and receptive uh, language. So it was yeah. communicating and understanding for anyone that's kind of wondering what that is. And then articulation piece, that would be the speech portion, which we're still working with a private speech therapist at this point for articulation stuff. Um, a lot of that we're not going to be able to address. Unfortunately, she's a really tremendous underbite. So a lot of it is like affecting mm, the tongue yeah. and stuff like that, that we're not going to be able to address until she's older with yeah. jaw stuff. But uh, that's fun. We're, yeah. Right now I'm like dreading all of that. Once she gets a little bit older, we have to figure out that Same. stuff. One my of daughter. Them, you, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you got it. Go ahead. I was just going to say my daughter has a, what's it called? A crossbite. Oh, what's so, oh. It's like the jaws, like, yeah, it's like slightly to the side. It's not very noticeable, but you know, we took her to the dentist for the first time. And so they're like, oh, she's going to have to get an expander. And I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Bills, bills, bills. Yeah, that's it. They were like, just letting you know, FYI, you're once like her start, her top teeth start falling out or her adult teeth start coming in. They said, we're going to have to recommend her to an orthodontist and get her braces on like ASAP. <gasps> and I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, it's probably most likely that she'll need braces at like seven. <laughs> That's like, what they oh. said about my daughter too. And I was like, wait, I got them when I was like 13. Same. I was like, That's so early. That's so early. And my daughter's really sensitive to like, you know, things bugging her, like her sock or whatever. And I'm like, it's going to be can't- help. It's going to be, yeah, we're, I we're can't be, even we're, imagine. We'll be in it together. It's going to okay. be awful. But, well, that, and then they're like, just FYI. And then hers is pretty severe. Like her underbite is pretty severe where yeah. they said even potentially surgery where I'm Ugh. like, oh, Jesus Christ. And I'm like, okay. Well, I was like, Kev, how's your health insurance? Like you might have to keep on working. I'm like, oh <laughs> Lord. Cause he's with them. He's a police officer. So he gets like really good health insurance, but I'm like, uh, you have to stay. <laughs> yeah. But, Don't retire. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I, well, actually with that, cause I talked to our speech therapist about this. And I'm curious to see your thoughts. Tongue ties. Do you believe tongue ties have an issue with speech? No, not really. So there is, if it did, it would be later on. So like having a tongue tie is not going to stop a baby or toddler from babbling or saying early words. The movement of the tongue is so minimal for speech sounds. Um, you would have to have like the most severe restriction to like not, you wouldn't be able to move your tongue at all. And if that were the case, you would have other issues with feeding, possibly with, um, with feeding or excuse me, feeding and sleep would be like the two main ones. But because your tongue is supposed to rest at the roof of your mouth when you're sleeping. So like if it couldn't reach, that could be an issue. You might have a child who has a open mouth posture, they're drooling a lot, they're breathing out of their mouth. So there would be other issues that you would see first before speech. Um, If it did affect speech, it would be some more challenging later developing sounds like S or R or SH. But for babies and toddlers, a lot of the sounds and words that they make early on don't involve much tongue movement. You know, some early developing sounds are M, B, P, um, your jaws pretty much closed. If you, you know, if you're listening, you want to try and make a T and a D, you don't, there's very little movement. Your tongue tip is moving like micro movements. Um, And if your child can stick their tongue out, like to lick their lips, um, that's usually an indicator that they've got enough movement for speech. Um, I actually, my son had his, uh, he had a lip tie and he was struggling with breastfeeding. So that's why we ended up clipping that. But I don't recommend to parents, and obviously I'm not your doctor and you need to talk to your doctor about this, not medical advice, but 
I don't recommend clipping a tongue tie to prevent like later speech issues. Okay. I would only do it if it's affecting function right then. So which typically, okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> I wouldn't be like, Oh my, every, every child, every adult, we all have tethered oral tissue. So we all have like that tissue there, the frenulum under our tongue. We have, you know, our lips are attached to our gums with a little piece of skin there. Um, and we all have varying degrees of that. So like, even my daughter has a lip tie that comes like pretty low down between her yeah. t- front teeth. Yeah. And I took her to see someone cause I was like, is this a problem? And she was like, Nope, she's not having trouble right now with feeding, with breastfeeding, with eating. She can close her lips at rest. Then no, it's not a problem. You don't need to do anything about it. So, um, we didn't, we didn't end up clipping hers. So, mm. Yeah, that that would be my advice. Um, I think a lot of I'm not saying that they don't have any effect on the body. Like there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, having a tightness in your mouth there can affect the alignment of different things. It's not my area of expertise. And I don't know if you're into body work and stuff like that. And you can yeah. relieve a lot of tension and, and different things like that. But again, mainly for feeding and for breathing purposes and speech comes later. And on the very rare chance that they're having difficulty with like speech clarity later on, yeah, then you can see if it's worth doing something. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cause my youngest Haley, when we had her, she, we struggled with breastfeeding a little bit, but not so much because she couldn't latch. She was, uh, a little bit. She was a pain in the butt the first six weeks, but I also kind of think she was just getting used to that and being a third baby. I was like, what is going on here? But then all of a sudden it was fine. So I never ended up getting her tongue tie adjusted, but her, the pediatric dentist that I brought her to for the tongue tie was like, you know what? I'm going to wait. And I'm glad he told me to wait, but he brought up something about uh, the tongue with speech issues. And then I got nervous because I'm like, shit, like I've already gone through this once. I don't want mm-hmm. to kick myself later if I don't address this now. And I, we didn't end up doing anything. And mm-hmm. that was kind of just the decision that we said, you know, whatever comes from this will come Yeah, because it all worked out. But that, that always started the conversation for me where I'm like, Oh, well, yeah. Should I How old is she this? now? Uh, 16 months. So, so what, like, what sounds does she babble with, for example? Uh, she's just learned baby. <laughs> okay. Recently, so she likes to say yeah. baby, uh, Dada. She'll say mama on a rare occasion. She knows how to say it. She just doesn't. Yeah. What else does she say? Of course. Um, the word you want the most. Yeah. <laughs> well, but so she, that's great. So she says it does sound. So that's indicating that yeah. like, she's able to move her tongue tip enough to like get up to the top for the dust sound. So it's really these sounds that might be impacted, maybe small chance later, you wouldn't even know right now because like most little kids are not saying them perfectly or correctly anyway, like an yeah. R for example. So yeah. I think, yeah. I think that was the right choice to wait. Cause yeah, I'm on, I definitely watch her a little bit. Like I said to my mom the other day, I was like, sometimes I, I watch and I'm like, I think because of my first having a speech delay, I get a little bit, like I watch a little bit more closely to see if yeah. it's going to happen again. My son, my second completely different kid. Like he is, he's, he got things right away. I think at by one years old, he was saying like words like fish <laughs> and, and just random things that <laughs> made it. no sense. Uh, and it was completely different, but I will say this, and I don't know if you, if there's any truth to it, but I remember Cassidy, my oldest, she had incredibly strong, fine motor skills, like all for gross motor skills, fine motor skills were superior 
her language not. And mm. I remember someone said that sometimes they find that there's a, I don't, I don't know if that's true. There's a juxtaposition between one being stronger than the other. And then my son had really strong language and his gross motor skills. He is like the clumsiest child I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> we hear so a lot of anecdotes like that. Um, <clears throat> the research actually shows that kids who have like strong gross motor who are more mobile tend to have better language because yeah, I mean, what the study discovered is that kids who move around more, who are either crawling or walking more, they are getting more and different language input from their parents. Mm. They're, they're able to like point out more things because they're moving around as their parents are labeling more things. Um, and parents are also using more action words because they're moving. Uh, so the input that they're getting is a little bit different. And so there's no research to indicate that like, if you're a late talker, you're going to be an early walker, or if you're an early walker, you're a late talker, anything like that. Um, cause I know that's like a phrase that we see a lot. Yeah. I think that's what everyone kept telling yeah. me. I was like, Oh, that's true. <laughs> I think uh, it's just laughing that way. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I have a post about this and I'm like, share like your experience in the comments. And it's like every possible scenario you could imagine is listed there. Like late talker, late walker, early walker, early talker, early talker, late, whatever, you know, every combo. So, um, yeah, there's nothing that there's no pattern that's happening across all children that we're seeing. Um, but really I I would say to parents, like if your child is an early walker, but they are late to talk or they're not meeting milestones, like don't chalk it up to that. Like don't, or like even the boy, um, there's a, you know, myth that's like, oh, boys talk later than girls. Well, they actually don't really. I mean, there's they're like a little bit behind, maybe by a couple months, but that's actually taken into account when we create milestones. So they shouldn't, being a boy is not a reason for a child to have a delay, for example. So my advice is always, if you're concerned about it, check it out. Don't be like, well, yeah. they're an early walker, so I'm they're fine. Or they're a boy, so that's expected. They're going to be fine. Because actually... A boy who's late to talk, since we mentioned before, that's a high risk factor for language delay. I would say, actually, why not seek out support now and make sure you have everything yeah. in place? Yeah. yeah. Why not? It doesn't hurt. That's the thing. If anyone here is listening, and again, I I think that's the biggest thing that I, it's a pride aspect. I think it's a huge pride aspect. I also think that guilt factor is there where, you know, I feel... I think a lot of us guilt ourselves that we did something wrong if our child is delayed in some manner because we mm-hmm. kind of look at ourselves, especially when it's so early on, where I think a lot of parents hesitate in asking for help in this area because we're afraid that someone's going to blame us. Someone's going to blame us for for something. And it, it, it's it's not. Like, it, it really isn't. So please, if you're listening and you are at all worried about that, it really is not that big of a deal. And you will find how common it is. Like, I feel like I've discovered more and more how common someone is getting help for something. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Like for something, there's something that most children are going to get help for at some point in their life. And yours might just need it for kicking off their language. It's not a big deal. And if you are in the United States, you can just Google early intervention and the name of your state and a website should pop up and has listed out by state, like who you can contact and you can just say, I want to refer my child for an evaluation. And yeah. Again, you don't need a doctor prescription. Most, I believe it's all, is that statewide? Is that nationwide? It, it should be nationwide that you don't need a referral. Okay. Yeah. Double check that everyone, but I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how it was for us. I just literally called and it was like one organization that was linked with early intervention. And I just called and I explained the situation. 
they put someone in contact with me and I think they were out at my house like two weeks later and they came to us and it was so much fun. The kid doesn't feel like your kids won't feel scared. They're not going to come in and make it seem like it's all scary. They're coming in Mm -hmm. and your kids during speech therapy, if you, if that's the route that you pursue, it's fun (laughs) for them. It's they're playing the entire time. You're just, Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to go and be like, you know, you're going to see this in action and be like, wait, this is it. It's not, it's not anything crazy. You're going to learn more from it. Uh, yeah. Then a, lot, a lot of parents are like, they're just playing with my kid. Like, how is this speech therapy? But um, when you think about how children learn, they learn through play. So it's only mm-hmm. natural that if we're trying to teach them a new skill, we're going to do it through play. You know, yeah. older kids, it could be more like table activities and flashcards and you're like drilling. But for the younger ones, it's all play-based and we're you know, incorporating our strategies into play and we're probing and seeing, you know, what can they do? How far, how much cueing or prompting do we need for them to do the skill? And then pulling it back to see how they, how far they can go independently before they need our support. So there, there's a lot going on. It's not just playing. Um, but yeah, we use that as the vehicle to teach, you know, what they need to know. I think that was the biggest thing that I picked up on that I didn't realize I wasn't doing as often was the the waiting between like initiating a response almost like I needed to wait yeah. a little bit longer. Uh, and I think that like, again, I no one creates their child speechfully, but you just learn different techniques of being like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me just slow myself and like reframe things or just the way that you put things into a sentence for your child is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know for me, like just waiting and being like, what uh, up? Like, or right now my daughter's saying like, she'll just go like this for me to pick her mm-hmm. up and I'll say up, up and I'll wait and see if she repeats it back and I'll and and if she doesn't, then I'll pick her up and say up and just keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, or the one thing that I do now is I take like a toy. It's just one toy. And I go like, um, like ride the pony, ride the pony and then fall down. And I just repeat it over and over. And then I wait before I drop the toy for down. And now she starts saying down. So it's like things like that, that I never had any clue. And it's so simple. It's almost stupid how simple it is, mm-hmm. but it's, it's stuff that we, we don't remember as kids because we just, we did it. <laughs> like We yeah. just don't, we don't think about how kids need to understand because we're not kids and yeah. we just need someone to kind of remind us. Totally. It doesn't come naturally too to a lot of parents. Um, no. I think like no. a lot of parents feel exhausted talking all day. They're like, I was told to talk all day to my child and it's just, I'm too tired and it just doesn't come natural to me. So yeah, it, in that situation, if ever, anyone listening is like, yes, that's me. Um, I usually tell parents like pick a specific time in the day that you're going to be like really language heavy, like bath time, for example, and you're going to model tons of language and be very talkative or like meal time at the table. And then like give yourself permission to have quiet moments too, because yeah. you don't want to be talking too much that your child drowns you out. Right. You want to make sure that you're being intentional about what you're saying. Um, but yeah, that can help. And then also putting post-its around to remind you if that's not something that comes naturally to you can be really helpful to kind of jumpstart like, oh yeah, I should be talking right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Well, and then I'm sure a myth would be screen time. What have you heard about screen time with speech delays? So it doesn't cause, again, that cause causation is really difficult to determine. Yeah. Um, for a child who is having difficulties, less screen time is recommended. But the issue is that it's a trade-off. 
you're giving your child screen time, it's taking away from a face-to-face interaction with a caregiver who could be modeling language for you um, and having that experience that's language rich. So it's really, um, I'm trying to think of what that word is. I'm like blanking on it. Um, Cost, no, gosh. Okay. Forget that one. I'm not even going to think of the word, but (laughs) yeah, it's like, you're making a choice and you're, <laughs> I'm going to think of this right after our call. It'll come. Um, it'll come. It's going to come to me. Um, but anyway, the, the main thing is that you don't want to be giving screen time too much because then your child is missing out on these other opportunities for yep. language development. So that's the biggest issue. So obviously we all need to use screen time to some degree for our sanity um, because we got to get stuff done. Like no shame in that. Just know if your child does have a delay that you really are going to want to balance that out with some really strong language boosting moments together, which, you know, you might have learned in speech therapy, like what to do with your daughter so that, you know, when she wasn't watching a screen, you knew that like during bath time, like you were giving her that stimulation that she needed. So I think it's mostly an issue when they're not getting any other type of stimulation or not enough. Which no people are doing. Like not many people are doing that. Again, I think like you said, like no one is causing their child speech delay unless you are literally refusing to speak to your child and just putting a screen in front of them all day yeah. for every hour of the day. Like that's impossible to do. Like yeah. I put well, on the screen for my kids and my kids watch maybe five minutes and then walk away because they, <laughs> they don't, I know they don't you're care. like, please watch more. Yeah, please sit down. <laughs> yeah, sit down. Watch this show. Um, no, you know what? The... Sometimes if you are a working parent and you work from home, for example, or you work out of the house and your child's being watched by a grandparent who's tired, who's not able to keep up, sometimes they have the screen on all day. And that's not, I don't, not saying that's causing the delay, but if that child, let's say was no matter what, already going to have a speech and language delay, that's when it can cause a problem. So I wouldn't say that that's caused the delay by any means, but it's not helping the child yeah. move forward because they're missing, you know, but there are situations like that. And in those scenarios, we really have to work with the family and work with the grandparents and, you know, get everyone on board so that they can get a little more balance into, you know, that child's life. Yeah. And that's definitely a big portion. I know like that was, uh, you know, my parents were always better at getting words out of Cassidy than I was really? they were always. Yeah. And, and my, I mean, I don't know if it's because of an excitement factor of like it's grandma and it's grandpa and they were just, my kids love their grandparents. So when they're with them, they are like extra attentive and extra focused on them. But my parents were always, they were always able to get them to repeat things. Like my mom is the one that got Haley to say baby. (laughs) And I was like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. I was just like, I don't, I don't know. I was like, cool. (laughs) But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a group thing. So again, if your child is involved in this, I will say that it's definitely a support system thing. Everyone has to be on, on board for pushing forward. You got, it's, it's a, it's a lifestyle change. It literally is. It's it's a lifestyle change. So it's a repetition and consistency game. Yeah. You just have to keep, it feels really repetitive to parents, but like, that's how kids learn. They just need the same thing repeated over and over and over and over again. Um, and some, for some kids that takes longer than other kids, but yeah, you want to get all family members on board so that they're getting it from every angle or even daycare, you know, wherever your kids are. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I feel like we could talk about this all day because I think it's so intriguing. (laughs) 
What we should do a live. I don't know if you've ever done an Instagram live. You and I should do an Instagram live. I never live. do them. Um, I'd love to. Yeah. That's a great yeah, idea. We should, well, we should figure that out. Maybe when this releases or something we can. Do you remember when takeovers it. were a big thing? Like yeah. people, yeah. that was like the thing. Anymore. No, nobody yeah. does them anymore. Cause you now know they why do lives, I wonder but... is if it's a, um, risk with having someone else log into your account. Probably as I grew it's and grew, I used to do them a lot, like in the beginning. And now I'm like, would be terrified of giving someone my password. Same. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> Cause I'm like, anyone. nothing can happen to this account. This is my life. Yeah. No, even my, I have assistants and they're like, do you like, do, do you want me to take your stuff and I can like post things for you? And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, I am the only one. I had someone message me and they're like, is it really? you and I was like what do you mean and she's like is it you answering me or do you have someone answering yeah and I was like it's literally me I said I have no one else on this account no one will touch this account (laughs) ever yeah but yeah no the thought is scary it is scary it's awful that's that's the love-hate relationship with social media yeah well I'd love to do Uh, the live (laughs) yeah so everyone listening I will put all of Melissa's information in the show notes that way you can check her out I would highly encourage you to or if you're not of that age um, or stage in life where you have little ones that are learning about language or anything like that, like recommend Melissa's account to them because it, it, it really is valuable. Like just having a reframing of very simple things is so helpful uh, because like I said, it's almost so simple that it's stupid, but it's so simple that you wouldn't even think about it. And it's, it's, it's like one of those things where it's right in front of your face. You just need someone to point it out for you. And that's what Melissa does. And um, she does a fabulous job at it. Oh, thank you. Of course. Well, awesome. Awesome. I will end this and then uh, we'll chit chat off of this. Okay. Sounds good. Another episode down. Thank you all so much for listening. If you loved today's episode, I would be so appreciative if you would leave a rating and review. I cannot begin to tell you how much those mean to me, but also how much they help me get in front of more eyes and more ears. As always, be sure to check back every Tuesday and Friday for a new episode, whether it's an episode with me, me and my husband, me and Katie, or just another incredible, amazing guest. Stay tuned for more honest, real, raw chit chat. And hey, do me a favor before you go. Remind yourself how amazing you are, how enough you are, how special you are. And boy, oh boy, I sure am glad to have you here. Thanks, friend.